Amos chapter one and verse one. The words of Amos, who was among the herdmen of Tekoa, which he saw concerning Israel in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash of Israel, two years before the earthquake. Then flip on over to chapter seven and verse 14. Chapter seven and verse 14. Verse 14 says, then answered Amos and said to Amaziah, I was no prophet, neither was I a prophet's son, but I was an herdman and a gatherer of sycamore fruit. And the Lord took me as I followed the flock. And the Lord said unto me, go prophesy unto my people Israel. I'm gonna break this down tonight uh, throughout this book, just maybe in three different sections. It'll be easy for you to keep in your mind and easy to follow and also to take notes if you generally take notes. And uh, someone said, I don't know why anyone would do that. One of our folks uh, texted me through about two weeks ago. They said they went back and looked at old sermons and had found a sermon that had been preached years ago. And the notes from that sermon was exactly what they needed at that point in their life. Because I encourage you to do that as well. I don't preach to your problem, I preach before your problem. So if you don't get it down now, it won't help you when the problem comes. And if there was ever a prophet that is comparable to the need for prophets in the land today, it would be Amos. I want you to first think with me about the man, Amos. He's a unique prophet. There's no other prophet in the word of God quite like Amos. Think first about his citizenship. He's from Tekoa. Tekoa is about 12 miles south of Jerusalem. But it's not just the fact that it's near Jerusalem, but being so close to the holy city, just 12 miles away, it's on the very edge of the wilderness. So people from Tekoa was looked at like Columbus looks at us. We are here. And they constantly, when I go north, they'd say, where are you at from down south? I say, I'm from Ohio. They said, no way. But Portsmouth is in Ohio. And we are here too. And by the way, we have a voice too. And they were from this wilderness area. So really, he is what we would call a country preacher or a country prophet. That's why I love reading and studying so much about Amos. He wasn't, uh, he wasn't someone that was just polished and fake. He was very raw, very unique, but also you'll find out as you go through this study that he was very intellectual. And don't let appearances and certainly don't let somebody's background where they're from, don't let that fool you. They can have a lot to offer you. Tekoa was that place uh, where the, the herdsmen were at that they were responsible for herding sheep. And the area must have been an area somewhat of poverty because he carried two jobs. He was tri-vocational, not bivocational. He was not only a prophet, he also herded sheep. And in addition to being a prophet and herding sheep, he also gathered sycamore fruit or tended to sycamore fruit. Sycamore fruit, the fruit that grows on it is known as a fig. 
You may know this and you may not. If not, it's a bit of trivia for you just to understand. I'm gonna find out how many country folks we have here tonight. Does anybody in here know what a persimmon is? Have any of you ever eaten a persimmon? Have any of you ever eaten a persimmon before it's time? If you wanna find out how to pucker, and I know some of you have some in your backyard, because I can tell when I look at your face while I'm preaching. That's the only thing that could explain that. But with persimmons, they are terribly, terribly sour while they're on the tree. Really, persimmons are at their best when they ripen and fall from the tree. But you might get them ripe on the tree, but you're still taking a chance. So when they fall and they, they, they're then ripe, and that's when they're at their best. And I don't want you to bring me a lot of persimmons. I've eaten them, I tolerate them, but I don't raise them, so therefore that tells you how much I like them. But nonetheless, they're only ripe when they hit the ground. Do you know the figs, figs, these figs on these sycamore trees, they were, they were known by the fact that poor people ate them and used them. It wasn't the figs like you can imagine in your mind that was for royalty and wealthy people, but these figs were for people in poverty. So they were feeding the poor at that time. But in order to eat a fig, they would, the fig would have to be bruised while it was on the tree. So they would have a job that they would go through and either tap the figs with a small stick, but generally what they would do is they would pinch the figs. That's what I'm gonna do to sour people from here on out. I'm just gonna pinch them and see what the reaction is. But they have to be pinched while they're on the tree because uh, th that, that's the only way that you'll get some of the bitterness out of them. Hallelujah, right there. I feel preaching coming on. So here he is, he's going around pinching these figs and bruising these figs to gather them together and he would take these figs and then take the wool. So now he's been given a third job from God to be a prophet also, but they're in his area. They weren't worth anything. So he had to go to Bethel to sell them. Bethel is now the capital of the Northern Kingdom. And he goes to the capital and Bethel is just the opposite of Tekoa. Tekoa was on the edge of the wilderness. Bethel was where it was happening. It was the capital city. People from all over the world came in. They would trade, they would barter, they would sell. That's exactly what he was doing. He was taking the wool there. He was taking those figs there so that they could be able to sell them and therefore he would make a living by doing that. So it was important to him to have access to Bethel. Well, while he's in Bethel, we realize that he gains knowledge. Do you know, I say it from this pulpit a lot, please listen to me, you do not have to be intelligent. You do not have to be smart. You just have to know smart people. Anybody that succeeds in business will surround themselves with people that know what they're doing. You cannot succeed in life if you are surrounded by people that can never stretch you or teach you new things. 
So here he is seeing all of these people coming to Bethel. Bethel was this growing area. It, it, was, the, it was the center of culture, but unfortunately it was also the center of cults. Because as people came from other nations, they also brought false gods in with them. And they were bringing all of these false teachings along with them. But he got a great education. He would take time to talk to people. And he would learn from people, learn about certain things. So he became very wise. And almost as you read the book of Amos and his prophecies, there's times where that you find out they are somewhat surprised that his citizenship is from Tekoa because he speaks with such authority and such knowledge, but it doesn't come from him. He is willing to learn and to listen to others so that he can learn. That's his citizenship. But then we see also his call. Verse 15 that I read to you in chapter seven. I like the phrase that he used in that. He says that the Lord took him. Do you see it? Verse 15, and the Lord took me as I followed the flock. He said, there was no doubt about it. I don't doubt my call in the least. God took me. I know it was the Lord. I know he's the one that brought me out. And just as sure as I know where I came from, I know that God called me to do what I'm doing. And that's true of anyone that's in ministry. There's a lot of times the only thing you're gonna have to stand on is the fact that the Lord has called you. You're called to do a certain thing. And that gives you the encouragement that you need. Do you know I don't need you to say amen for me to keep preaching tonight? Do, I, do you know that I don't need you to act like you enjoy it for me to keep preaching tonight? I'm called to preach. My preaching doesn't hinge on your response. My preaching doesn't hinge on your support. My preaching doesn't hinge on your encouragement. A lot of things in life I don't know about, but I know one thing. I know the Lord Jesus Christ called me to preach his gospel. And as long as I am faithful to do what he has called, then God will honor me for it. So we see his citizenship. We see his call. We also see his convictions. You'll read in Amos chapter five and verse eight. Remember I said all of these nations were coming in and they all had different gods. So what they were doing, they were just mixing and mingling their gods all together, saying you can just pick any God that you want. It's all the same, it doesn't matter. Kind of sounds like the churches around here anymore. Just pick any way you want to. They all lead to heaven. They don't all lead to heaven. There's one way to heaven, and that's Christ, no other way. Can't make it any other way. So here he is with now all of these people. Remember I said it's the cultural center. It's a place of culture. The intellects are there. Here comes this country prophet, and he's preaching to all of these people that have this great intelligence. And they, they, it is amazing to me how intelligent people can do the silliest things and believe the silliest things. If you only knew the false religions that are out in our country today, in America, in this land, where the gospel is preached regularly, there's so many crazy ideas. And it seems like the more, the more unintelligent that it is, the more that people will follow it. And they had gods all of these gods, and they were trying to commingle these gods. 
Much like when you get to the Roman Empire, the Greek Empire, they just wanted to include everybody. So here he is standing in a group of people that believes pick whatever God you want, do whatever you want. But when he gets to chapter five and verse eight, here's just one little sample of his conviction. He says boldly, seek him that maketh the seven stars of Orion and turneth the shadow of death into the morning and maketh the day dark with night that calleth for the waters of the sea and poureth them out upon the face of the earth. Then he ends with this last phrase. The Lord is his name. He said, you're looking, you're looking, you're looking, you're looking, but the truth of the matter is I've come to tell you about the one that you've been looking for all along and the Lord is his name. And I can tell you with all assurance, you can stop your searching right here tonight. I know the one that is everything you need and I'm not ashamed to tell you that his name is Jesus and we ought to tell the world, Jesus saves. He spoke with conviction, that's the man. And then he comes across with the message. What a message he preached. Now remember, when he's speaking this, it is a time of great pride. There's arrogance because there's great prosperity in the land, tremendous prosperity. But the problem is in the prosperity, just a few are benefiting from the prosperity because it's also a time while there's great prosperity, there's also great poverty. And therefore it becomes a time of persecution. And with that, it becomes a time of great pleasure because they've got so much and they have access to so much that they just, they absolutely engulf their life in pleasure. Constant pleasure, constant fun constantly searching for something to satisfy. And along comes this backwoods preacher that he might have been backwoods, but he wasn't backward. And he says, I'm going to tell you what you need to hear. So he starts preaching. So what did he preach against? First of all, he preached against indifference. What indifference? They became so indifferent, so uncompassionate, that they treated people in such cruel ways. Do you know that according to Amos chapter two and verse six, the Bible says they sold the righteous for silver and the poor for a pair of shoes. Now that's a callous person that would sell another human being for a pair of shoes. That's what, it, that's what it came down to. That's the word of God. That's, that's what he was dealing with. He said that they tread upon the poor in Amos chapter five and verse 11. He said, you've built houses of hewn stone, but you shall not dwell in them because you have oppressed the poor. In Amos chapter eight and verse four, he said, hear this, O you that swallow up the needy, even to make the poor of the land to fail. He said, they're already having a hard time and you're making it harder on them. You set out with an intent to take from them to make sure that the poor fail. You disregard the poor, they're just indifferent. They didn't care. They were not only indifferent, but they were also immoral. You gotta turn to this, Amos chapter two and verse seven. Amos chapter two and verse seven. I'm gonna read it and I'm not gonna explain it, I'm gonna let 
you parents explain it to your kids, but you'll get the gist of it. One thing about the word of God, I don't write it, I just preach it. Amos 2, 7. That pant after the dust of the earth on the head of the poor and turn aside the way of the meek. Now watch this. And a man and his father will go in unto the same maid to profane my holy name. The dad and his son have the same woman. That's sick. That's immorality. And by the way, no matter what anyone tells you, you cannot rewrite the book. What God says is wrong is still wrong. There's some things God's not changing his mind on, it's just wrong. And I'll say this, a father and a son having the same woman is wrong. Incest is wrong. I thought you came to go to church. Immorality. It was a time of great immorality. And we're gonna, we're gonna face some things in the next few months here in the state of Ohio. We're gonna face some things that we're gonna have to make up our mind. Either God's word is true and we're gonna stay behind it or else we're gonna cave in like the rest of the world has done and say that was for a different time and a different age. No, sin is always sin. God doesn't change his mind and you can't get saved and do you realize you've sinned and as long as we keep covering up sin, things will get worse. They were indifferent. They were immoral. Not only did they have indifference and immorality, but they also had immobility. And I put that down just for the sake of you being able to follow the outline. But basically, let me read you a little bit about in their life. In their life, here's, here's a description of them. Woe to them that are ease in Zion and trust in the mountain of Samaria, which are named chief of the nations to whom the house of Israel came. Ease in Zion. In, cha in chapter six and verses four through six, that lie upon the beds of ivory and stretch themselves upon their couches and eat the lambs out of the flock and the calves out of the midst of the stall that chant to the sound of the viol and invent to themselves instruments of music like David that drink wine in bowls and anoint themselves with the chief ointments, but they are not grieved for the affliction of Joseph. So in their life, they're laying on couches and they're taking it easy. They wouldn't hit a lick at work if it was a snake about to bite them. Taking it easy, and what's worse, in their worship. Look in their worship, Amos 5, verse 21. I hate, I despise your feast days, and I will not smell in your solemn assemblies. Though you offer me burnt offerings and your meat offerings, I will not accept them, neither will I regard the peace offerings of your fat beasts. Take thou away from me the noise of thy songs, for I will not hear the melody of thy viols, but let judgment run down as waters and righteousness as a mighty stream. Do you know what God said? God said, first of all, you're lethargic in your life. 
And second of all, you're lazy in the church. And he said, there's two things that I'm not going to bless. I'm not going to bless the lethargic and I'm not going to bless the lazy. You quit before I did. I'm sorry about that because I'm plowing through tonight. You cannot be successful in your Christian life and be lazy. And I am so concerned that COVID has brought out the worst event of laziness this nation has ever, ever battled in all the years of my life. I've never seen so much laziness. People refuse to work. All they want to do is play. All they want to do is have fun. All they want to do is things that they enjoy and they want pay raises for doing nothing and we give them pay raises for doing nothing and the less they do, the more we pay and the more we get into, I'm preaching tonight, and as long as you reward laziness, people will get more lazy and more lazy and more lazy. Well, why go to church and why be there? Why be faithful if you're gonna teach Sunday school when you don't come? We've got Sunday school teachers Maybe I better have you shut this off. We've got Sunday school teachers in this church. It's been a year and a half since they've been to prayer meeting. I'm moving on. Don't worry. Like casserole, be over in a minute. But you've got to choke it down right now. We honor and reward laziness. Our society does. Churches do it. Businesses do it. We honor laziness. We have no expectation of anything. Now, I'm a pretty peaceful guy. I'm a loving guy until I get up here and then I know I look mean. I went into a restaurant the other day. I spoke to the one that was serving, they never spoke back. I tried my best to be nice and polite. And finally, I stopped them. And I said, stop what you're doing. Do you know if I'm not here eating, there's no need for you to have a job. And I said, how do you take a paycheck in good conscience? I'll tell you one thing, you may not like what I always have to say, but when I come into this pulpit, I don't get a Saturday night special and rip out an outline off of somebody and stand up here and try to preach it to you. I do my best to study the word of God, have something fresh from heaven to tell you about. Do you know why? You have a right to expect your pastor to preach to you. You have a right to expect your pastor to do some things, but we are in such a lazy generation today that all we want is positions without the labor. We want the title. We don't want to do the work, but I'm here to tell you, you can't get the blessing if you don't do the work. You're just deceiving yourself in life. God blesses work. Here I am in overtime again. Their worship became hypocrisy. Can I make you a promise? 
if the screens go down Sunday, I'll still preach. <laughs> We've got preachers now that they don't prepare anything. They buy their sermons. And they read the screen with you. Laziness. And that becomes hypocritical. I, can I confess one thing before I quit? A few weeks ago, I came into this church and I got in the flesh, I got angry. Nobody else was here. I pulled in, I came through the side door, I went back to the back and somebody had gotten a delivery and it's not your fault, don't take it that way. But there were a couple boxes stacked up out in the foyer. That's not what angered me. This is what angered me. On the boxes, big bold print, it said, store in dry place. Now, I don't know what kind of place you want this to be, but I thought they delivered that to the wrong place because this is not a dead place, it's not a dull place, and it's certainly not a dry place. And I hope you found your boxes. I wanted to set them outside because there's no delivery here if you've come looking for a dry place. I want this to be the place that heaven's glory flows down on us and we know that we're in the presence of God. We've not come to this place just to spend time. We've come to experience God and his blessings. his mission, and I close. God took the man, God gave the man a message, but God completed a mission. If you read the book of Amos, he starts out as a herdman, and he starts out tending to the figs. But he winds up saying, I'm not a prophet. I'm not even the son of a prophet. But he's prophesying. I think you'd agree with this. Amos, it's quite obvious, by the power of God, God made Amos a different man from what he was. And what he was known by. He wasn't known as a prophet. He wasn't known as a son of a prophet. He was known as a man from Tekoa that just took care of sheep and took care of figs. Tried to make a meager living. But here he is talking to the most intellectual people of his day and telling there is one God. And by the way, his name is the Lord Jehovah. How do you know when God shows up? It's quite obvious because there'll be a difference. Tomorrow your day will be different if you experience God tonight. Everything's different when we experience the Lord. You say, preacher, why are you preaching that tonight? Cause they can't take it Sunday. Half the church would leave. 
this crowd, you'll say, bring it on and give me more. Because you get it. You get it. Thank God for you. You still get it. And I still think there's some people in this world that they know what it's all about. And we ought to say, Lord, I want to be the man. I want to be the woman that you want me to be. Doesn't matter where you came from. Doesn't matter what your vocation is. God can use you. If you're willing to just obey the Lord, take me. Put me where you want me. I'll be what you want me to be.